0: Now listen, he already has great value because of who he is, but, but what gave him this great worth is what he did for us. That's a powerful thought because, you know, we could easily say, well, well, he doesn't really need to include us in his song. You know, he's, he's God, right? And yet, this is the song that is ordained by God, is that he's worthy because of what he did for us. That somehow... God valued you so much that he says the lamb is worthy because he bought you for God, that he, he brought you back. This, was, this is something that God says is worth singing about. And, and I want to go back to some of the things that are said by the creatures around the throne, some of the things that are said by the elders, and some of the things that are echoed by creation. We're going to go back and make some of the points that we made last week just to reiterate But he says, and and, and if we were to go to Revelation chapter 4 and skip right down to where this song begins in verse 8. Well, I shouldn't say begins, we should say continues. It says, The four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. Day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was and is to come. Then in verse 11, the elders fall down and worship him. They cast down their crowns and say, worthy are you our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Now I want you to see again, and we're going to see it in chapter 5, but when he says, worthy are you to receive we would all say that God is lacking nothing, right? We, we all would say that he has everything, he is everything. And yet, he's still going to receive something. Who is he going to receive it from? I mean, there's a big chunk of this. We're not the only ones, but there's a big chunk of this glory, honor, and power that we are, we are giving back to him. This, I mean, there's no glory, honor, or power that didn't first come from him. All of these things came from him, and that's what they say in the next part of the song, right? Right? Everything was created by you, by your will They were created for you and through you they exist. But now they're also saying, you're worthy to receive this. See, if he's worthy to receive it, there's got to be somebody that's giving it, right? Now where do you think those 24 elders got the crowns? You think they made them in arts and crafts class? Like they made them in children's church and it said, look at the crown I made for you, Dad. No, God gave them those crowns. In fact, the scripture is full of examples of the crowns you'll receive, not everybody. I mean, there, there certainly is a robe of righteousness. There's, there are these things that we're given just simply because of what Jesus did. But there are crowns given based on what we've done here in life, that, that uh, we're, we're, we're going to have crowns and positions of authority in, in different levels. But here's the deal. At one point, we all take off our crowns and we lay them at the throne. I don't know who gets to pick them up and give them back to us because it, I think we do this over and over again throughout he- eternity. We lay our crowns down. He gives us crowns. We lay them down. And what it is is we are acknowledging that there's nothing we have that didn't come from him and doesn't ultimately belong to him. I've quoted this a lot in offering, but one of my favorite offering prayers is King David's. When they take up a great offering for the temple, and it's an amazing offering. They actually, it's much like Moses' offering for the tabernacle. They, they, they actually get to the point where they have too much. It's a free will offering. And people just keep giving. And David says, he prays this. He says, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to give such an offering. Who are we that we should give such an offering? He says, thank you for all these things came from your hand. And to your hand, we're giving back. He's acknowledging we gave a big offering because you allowed us. You gave it to us to give back to you. By the time we get to chapter 5, I want to read you this again course, if if you weren't here last week, you can go back and and listen to the message, but we talked about why it was important that Jesus was worthy to break this seal, to open this scroll, and and here's the response, because John's been crying, he's been weeping, because they've looked around and found no one worthy to open it, And, and, and until someone says, he's worthy, the lamb is worthy, and once again, remember this, folks, is that the lamb, I mean, when you're talking about Jesus as the lamb, you're talking about his death. Constantly, right? We're reminded of the, the, the purpose of him being called the Lamb is that he would be slain. And so Jesus is not trying to get over the cross. He's not trying to just say, just call me king now. The Lamb was a phase of my life. It's over. No, for the re- we're going to honor him for this, for the greatest act of love that's ever been committed in, in history, for the, for the definition of love. We are going to honor him for what he did for the rest of eternity. So he shows up and he says, the lamb. Now he's shown up as the king. He's shown up as, as, as the risen Lord. And now he's showing up as a lamb. And it says he shows up as a lamb, appearing as if slain. So there's something about his appearance that we can tell he's been murdered. But he's alive. And then we begin to sing this song. They, they sing this song. And in fact, this, this is wonderful because the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fall down before the lamb each one of them holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I know I said this last week, but I have to say it again. Can you imagine? The prayers we're praying are going to be part of this. They're going to be part of the worship ceremony. They're going to be part of the offering put in front of the Lamb, the a bowls full of prayers of the saints. And then it says this, and they sang a new song. I love this. If you read the book of Revelation, you see we've got folks from all over. Some people who are hardcore hymn, hymn folks, they want to sing hymns all the time. I love hymns. Some people are just like, let's sing the new stuff all the time. I love the new stuff. And everything in between. So I, I kind of like all this stuff. But if you want a biblical example, in the book of Revelation, they sing. There's a point where they said they, they're, they're you know, going through their worship, and it says they sing the song of Moses. So they bring out the oldies. They sing a song of Moses. And there's times like this where they sing a new song. They break out the new stuff. So it's biblical that we sing the old and the new stuff together, all right? So this is good. They sing a new song and they say, Worthy are you, O Lord our God. Worthy are you, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood many. Men, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Skip down to verse 12. This is the elders, the living creatures, and there's myriads and myriads, thousands and thousands, and they say with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive, listen to this, to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every created thing, we talked about this last week, but once again, every created thing which is in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, and on the sea, and all the things in them. So at this moment in time, you're going to hear the voices of everything that's ever been created. You're going to hear things in heaven. You're going to hear things on the earth. You're going to hear things under the earth. You're going to hear sea creatures. You're going to hear the sea. I don't know what a fish sounds like when they praise the Lord, but you're going to know it. And somehow in this massive sound, you're going to distinguish, that was the voice of the sea. That was the voice of creatures from the land. That was the voice of creatures of heaven. And they're all echoing back. Listen, this is a response to what's been said. What has been said? Worthy are you. Worthy are you to receive something. The, 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 the statement that's made is, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And the response is this. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. This is a response to the fact that he's worthy to receive it, creation responds and gives it to him. They respond with their praise. They respond with this statement. To you, to him who sits on the throne, who are we talking about? We're talking about the Father. And unto the Lamb, who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. Be blessing and honor and glory and dominion or power forever and ever. If you look at blessing, honor, glory, power, all of these things, these are all things that God at some point has shared with humanity. You find a scripture for each one of them. You can find where, where, where God has, has bestowed on us blessing and the power to bless. James says, with our mouth, we bless our God, our Father. We shouldn't be cursing our brothers and sisters. He gave us the power to bless. He's given us honor. The, the scripture says he's crowned us with honor. He's given us, he's let us share in his glory. You know, when he says this, that all these things he's predestined beforehand for our glory, he's let us share in his glory. Dominion, he gave us dominion over the, over the earth, over, the, you know, over the, the, the creation. We were supposed to steward it. All of these things at some point we share in and yet they belong to him. And here's the deal, we get to give it back. We get to say, you're worthy of all of this. This is yours. We're, we're part of this, but this is ultimately yours. And all of this glory, all the honor, all the power, all of this, all the blessing is yours forever. I want you to know that you're not an observer in this story. You're not just sitting back watching. You're part of this. We should be part of it now. Now, the great temptation of man is to pursue these things without God to seek blessing and honor and glory and power and try to grab it this is what mankind has done now the great the, the hardest thing for me tonight is to pull at certain cords and 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 pull at certain threads in this story without like just jumping into the whole book because it's all connected. And and if we're not careful, we'll wake up and it's Sunday morning and we're still here. So, you know, I'm going to try to slice this up because there is a story being told here. I'm, I'm, we're about to talk a little bit about the song of the martyrs and the song of the, uh, of the saints that went through the tribulation and what they say. And, and at some point, even talk about what's said after the overthrow of Babylon. And when we're talking about the overthrow of Babylon, I'm not talking about a city in Iraq. I'm talking about a, a world system, mystery Babylon, not just a physical city, but an idea Because when you talk about Babylon, and we'll we'll probably take a week or two and talk about that, but when you talk about Babylon and, and his victory over Babylon, once again, that's not just a city. That's a whole system. And we know it's not just one city because when it finally gets torn down, what's found at its foundation is the blood of all the saints and the martyrs. One city didn't do that. But there's a system in the world that's done that. And the foundation of Babylon is... Men trying to grab all these things for themselves. This is the struggle of the ages. It's people trying to take this from God, keep it for themselves. It's, it's the original sin, isn't it? Right? It's, what, it's how Satan fell. It's how he deceived Eve and Adam, right? If you take a bite of this fruit, you can be as wise as God. You can have this. You can, you can get this for yourself. We're trying to bypass God. Now, all of these things, like I said, these are all things that I, could, I can give you three scriptures for each of them, where God bestows this on mankind, but it is from him, and it belongs to him. When we bypass him, we step into idolatry, we step into pride, we step into rebellion. By the time we get to chapter 7, and, and we're skipping a lot of juicy stuff to get there, We'll come back to it, don't you worry. We'll talk about these seals and we'll talk about some of those things. Um, by the time we get to chapter 7, and, and we have the multitude on multitudes of people that are born again um, and, and believers that came out of the tribulation. Here's what they say They say, and I'm trying to figure out where to start, but let's we'll, we'll start in verse 10. They cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels who were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, Amen. So they add their so be it to this. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You know, this is, this is the back and forth that's supposed to take place is, is that call of he's worthy and the response of creation saying, yes, let it be, Lord, amen, all of this to you. You know, I love the Psalms when there are things that the psalmist is supposed to say and the congregation responds, they give their amen or they say something back. There, there's a sense that if we say he's worthy, then that's the time for you to just start giving it to them, right? You know, when when we say praise the Lord, I've said this before, but when we say praise the Lord, you know praise the Lord is not as much an exclamation as it is a command, right? So if I say praise the Lord, let's everybody praise the Lord. Half of us would just go, praise the Lord. Well, cool, but why don't you go ahead and praise him a little? I thought I did. I said praise the Lord. Right, but if I came up to you and said, I'm talking to you, I just love talking to you, here we are talking. I'm talking louder now, I'm talking softer now. <laughs> well, at some point, I should talk to you. What if I said, Jack, I've got good things to say about you? Good things, good things. I'm saying, I'm gonna say some good things about you. Good things to say about Jack. <laughs> some point, I need to start saying some good things. <laughs> Can't think of any good things right on the moment, don't put me on the spot, so good things, Jack, good things. Just trust me, they're good. You know, I got to dig. Well, it's not hard to dig. Jack's a good man. But let's just imagine it was hard. Well, it's not hard to think of good things to say about God. But in the moment, we take the easy route, don't we? Those awkward moments of praise and worship. Everyone just praise God in your own voice. And you just, you give them praise the Lord, hallelujah. And you just kind of, all right, it's time to start singing again. This is awkward. I know my neighbor's listening to me. I want to say something that sounds intelligent, but I already said hallelujah, I can't say it again. (laughs) Try it with a microphone. (laughs) When you know everything, you said, did I already say, did I already say that you lifted me out of the mud and you put me on a rock? That's a good one, because you did that. Um, You know, and and, and it's something that needs to be cultivated in us. Uh, I remember my dad started having the congregation praise the Lord in their own language. Now, us Pentecostal folk, we also know how to cheat because if, we, if we, we get five words in our own language and just get lazy, we'll start praying in tongues, you know, and then just <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> let's be honest. That, that's good, but sometimes we're just doing it because we couldn't think of anything else. So he would have the congregation, he would say, all right, let's, let's bless the Lord. And we'd try for a little bit. And We run out, and pretty soon, you know, you hear the trickle, and it's just the guy on the stage that's still going, and we're just going, amen, that too, yeah, ditto, amen, right, me, me as well, amen, 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 but you know, the more we did it, the more it flowed out of us, so you know, it's just, you could go for a long time, and you say, wait, I'm not done, I, I still got things to say about him, I think that's a healthy place to be, I think that'd probably be the best thing for you every day is to cultivate that in yourself. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul and all that's within me. Bless the Lord and forget none of his benefits. And when he says forget none of his benefits, he starts naming his benefits. How good is this for you? But even if it wasn't good for you, listen, let me just say, it's good for you to praise the Lord. It's a blessing for you to praise the Lord. You'll be blessed by praising the Lord. But even if you got nothing out of it, he still deserves it. Right? He's still worthy of it. Now the good thing is, you do get something out of it. He's worthy and it's a blessing to you. It's a it's a lifting of your spirit. And so here's what they say, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And this is a statement. Now I'm going to bring out this I'm just gonna, we're just going to focus on salvation tonight because We've talked a little bit about it. We could talk a lot more about the blessing, honor, glory, power. In another place, he says wealth, riches, there's there's all these things that belong to God that we're giving back to him. But I want to focus on something that pops up throughout Scripture in Old and New Testament. It it comes up three or four times in the book of Revelation alone. Uh, It's the last thing Jonah said before he got vomited out of the whale. Salvation belongs to our Lord, our God. It's a good thing to say before you get vomited out. (laughs) Why does it need to be said? If all these things that we're saying to God are things he deserves, but also things that we're tempted to take and to keep, what is it about salvation that I could be tempted to claim for my own? Why is it the psalmists say it over and over again, salvation belongs to God? Why are they saying it here so many times, salvation is yours? We need to be reminded that he is a saving God. He is a rescuing God, that that he is a God who uh, is infinitely concerned with his creation and lives to save. We also need to be reminded that I can't ever save myself, that salvation belongs to him. Now, salvation is a lot more than just your ticket to heaven. The Greek word sozo throughout the New Testament is used in times when people are healed. It says that, the, you know, if you have any sick among you and, 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 and they're, they're so sick they can't even come, let the elders go to them, let them anointing with oil, pr- lay hands on them, and the prayer of faith will, and it literally says, will save the sick. It's, it's not saying this guy is going to get born again again. He's saying that he's saved from his present circumstance. You know, you'll see this word pop up in many different ways because salvation, yes, first and foremost, the greatest salvation, as Hebrew calls it, so great a salvation, the greatest salvation is to be saved from death and brought to life. But salvation in every area, how many times does the psalmist say, uh, I recall when the psalmist said, uh, our God is a God of deliverances. To him alone belongs salvation from death. He says deliverance is plural. This is a guy who's been in battle. He's had near misses. He's been been snatched out of the jaws of death. And he says, to God belongs salvation. He's the God who rescues. To him alone belongs salvation. Deliverance is rescues from death. What he's saying is, I'm not looking anywhere else. Like I said, Jonah... When he finally realizes that his way is the wrong way, and he's in the belly of the whale, he comes to his senses, and you know, stomach acid will do that to you. It'll wake you up. You'll start thinking right, I guess. I say whale, but it's not really a whale. There's nowhere in the scripture that says it's a whale, it's just a sea creature of some sort. I don't know what it looks like. I always had the little whale toy at home, but I don't know. It would have been a miracle for him to get in that belly of the whale anyways, wouldn't it? Whatever sort of sea creature he's in, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it smells like. I don't want to think about it. He comes to the realization that salvation does not belong to him. He can't find a way out. He couldn't find a way out. When he tried to run the other way, that wasn't the way out. All right, you own the rights to salvation, so you're going to have to do it. And salvation in in that day came in the form of vomit. But... Throughout the Psalms, throughout the prophets, you know, Isaiah said, Is there, and he's, this is God speaking through Isaiah, he said, Is there any other rock? I know of none. And he begins to bash idolatry and say, You guys keep trying to build things that'll save you, but they can't. Is there any other rock? A rock being something you can rely on, a rock being something you can run to in a time of trouble. Is there any other rock? I know of none, but that may sound like a simple, obvious statement, but it's not obvious. If you think about it, even to us believers, when you're in a bad situation, how many steps do you go through before you finally just say, Lord, I need your help? How many hours do you spend worrying and trying to find a way out, trying to scurry out before you say, I can't get myself out? If I'm going to get out, it's going to be the Lord that delivers me. We usually say, save such sayings for when we've tried everything and there's nothing left. But God isn't the last resort, is He? He's not like your supplement, He's not Popeye's can of spinach that when you've used all your strength, He'll give you a boost. Right? He is the only hope. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. He is the God of escape. He is the God of rescue. He is the God of salvation. And so they say, salvation belongs to you, God. And the people that say it in the book of Revelation are people that should know because they face death. Many of them have been killed, and yet they've experienced that death had no power over them. There they are standing in a place where they no longer need shade because he's their shade. They no longer need the sun because he's their light. He refreshes them in their presence. He says, in this place, they'll no longer be hurt by the heat. They'll no longer have to run. They are finally safe. And they say to him, salvation is yours, God. I want you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 62. I can't hear the phrase, salvation belongs to our God, without hearing that, uh, was it a Crystal Lewis song? No. Who am I thinking of? Salvation belongs to our God. I know Petra did a version. When Petra does a version, no one else needs to do a version after that. That's (laughs) it. (laughs) Now, there's a famous version. None of you know it. Well, that's helpful. Go look it up, it's still a good song. It's old, but it's good. Psalm 62, 1. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock in salvation. My stronghold I shall not be greatly shaken. Now, we can have two theories about this psalm. You You can have the theory that this is what he... This is what he knows, he believes, and he has no doubt about it. And I'm I'm sure that's greatly true. But I think part of this is he has to sing it so that he believes it. Right? You you can see him as a superhero, and he's never doubted this. But I think you sing these songs because you're in a moment where you're looking somewhere else. And you have to remind yourself, God is my only salvation here. This is not a psalm you sing in times of peace. This is a psalm you sing in times of trouble. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, he said, uh, they're going to try to kill you. He says, they'll put you on trial. They'll, they'll put some of you to death. He says, but when you're going to make your defense, he says, don't, don't prepare a defense. Don't think beforehand what you're going to say. For in that hour, I'll give you the words to say. And I've said this before, but I can't imagine how hard it'd be to sit in a cell knowing tomorrow they're going to decide whether or not to take my life. And what I say has a big part to play in it. And I'm not supposed to think of what I'm supposed to say. I'm supposed to sit here and not try to think of how I'm going to get out of this. Because he says, just listen, I'll tell you what to say. In that moment, they'll be my words, not your words. I think that's sort of what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying, my soul waits in silence for God only. My soul waits in silence for God only. Have you ever tried to silence your soul in a time of great trouble? Because it's your brain that runs away with, you, with itself, doesn't it? It's your mind that goes into weird corners and imaginations of what could go wrong. It's your mind that dreams up scenarios where you might get out of this. And yet he says, I've, and I'm, I'm adding this, but I think he's saying, I've trained my soul to wait in silence for God. I've, 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 I've decided to wait in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail a man? that you may murder him, all of you, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence. They have counsel only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. Selah. My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. Remember what we said at the beginning? He says, my soul waits in silence. Now he's commanding his soul to wait in silence. Why do you have to do that? Because your soul doesn't want to wait in silence. Guys, your brain wants to scramble. You want to find a way out of this. But salvation belongs to God. And that's good news. Right? That's good news. Don't you know you have a God who wants to save you? You see, if we were to take a picture of God that many paint, God is, is unfeeling, uncaring. He's up there saying, I'm just, I'm just as happy if you die. I, I don't care what happens to you. But that's not the God that's, paint, that, that's shown to us by Jesus. That's not the God we see in Scripture. This is a God who cares. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I've heard people say, well, how could God possibly care about me? He's got so many people in the world to care about. Yeah, but you're treating him like a finite being, like he's like you. But he's not. He's infinite. And his love is infinite. And his attention is infinite. So, so him loving Audrey doesn't mean he, doesn't, he has a little bit less love for Sparrow. He, he's got infinite. He, he is constantly. And, and you might say, just like the psalmist says, you might say, who are we that you'd be mindful of us? But you're going to have to realize he is mindful of you. And these are the songs. Now listen. The songs that we're singing to God in, in the book of Revelation I said this last week, but we keep, we're in them. We, we, he could say, guys, no more songs with you in them. Just sing songs about how beautiful I am. Sing songs about how strong I am. And yet so many of these songs that he ordains talk about what he's done for his people. He is glorified. And, w- and his interaction with us and in his care for us He's glorified. And he says this, soul, wait in silence for God only. That word only is so important. For God only. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I shall not be shaken. Does this sound familiar? Because this is exactly what he just said in the first paragraph. Sometimes we think we need to be original. You need to say something until you finally believe it. You need to say it over and over again until you have it in your heart. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Men of low degree are only vanity. Men of rank are a lie. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than breath. Do not trust in oppression. Do not vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, don't set your heart upon them. Once God has spoken, but twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God, and loving kindness is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his work. He puts power and loving kindness in the same breath. What picture do you have of God? Do you have a picture of God where you have to make him feel sorry for you in order for him to act? Because that's not the picture God says of himself. Do you have a picture of God where you have to harass him in order for him to answer? Because that's not the picture we get. Even though Jesus said there was a judge who was like that, he says that was an unrighteous judge, but your God is righteous, so keep praying, but it's not because you're harassing him until he finally gives in. It's because he hears your prayer, and it's going to do you good to stay in an attitude of prayer and receptiveness to what he's doing. So here he's saying, listen, he's reminding us That power belongs to God, and loving kindness, loving kindness is yours, O Lord. What is that word, loving kindness? That's actually a word in English that we've kind of had to create. Have you ever heard the word loving kindness outside of the Bible? No, it's because it's a word that we had to create to match the Bible word. Because the word in the Bible there, there's there's this idea, this Hebrew uh, word that carries the idea not of a feeling of love, but of love put into action. Loving kindness is love enacted towards you. It's acts of love towards you. It's that he's doing something out of that love. So when you combine a God who acts in love with a God who has infinite power, that is an amazing thought. Right? If he's just a Greek God that has power but no real feeling for you, then maybe you'll catch him on a good day and he'll like the necklace you're wearing and help you out. (laughs) But if he's a God full of loving kindness and he's powerful, that means he will act on your behalf. He will save. He will rescue. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, Whether we die in our beds, whether we die by the sword, whether we die or don't die at all, and he comes back and snatches us up, at the end of the day, we're all going to say, hey, we were saved. We were rescued from death itself. Believers will never die. You've died the last death you'll ever die. And we'll say salvation belongs to you, God. Now remember, every one of these things that they say, Honor is yours, glory is yours, power is yours, wealth is yours, salvation is yours. These are all things man has tried to take for themselves and say, I got this. In the act of worshiping God, we're releasing it again. Right? And you can be trusted. When you're, trust- when you're able to release these things back to God, you can be trusted for him to bestow these things on you. Right? Probably a greater temptation than you snatching wealth, probably a greater temptation than you snatching honor or glory or power is the temptation for you to to believe you can save yourself in some way. I can get out of this. I can can manufacture my escape route, and you can't. The sooner you realize that, the more (laughs) likely you are to actually be saved from it. I uh, have said these the last two weeks that we've talked about this, but I would, I'll say it again. I think you should learn these songs now. These aren't just songs for heaven. They're songs for now. They're songs that are very real right now. And as you sing them, they become more real to you. And just like the psalmist, how did, listen, I, I guarantee, look at that psalm. This is a guy who's in the middle of something. He's not remembering when he was in the middle of something. He's writing this in the middle of something. How does he keep himself from going crazy? What's a quiet soul, a silent soul? That's a peaceful soul, right? What's the opposite of peaceful? Troubled, right? Jesus said, in the world you'll have trouble. In me you have peace, right? Take my peace. My peace is real. And so when we're seeing this, remember Philippians 4 says that when you offer these things to God, you give them your requests, you pray with thanksgiving, the God of peace will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Why do your heart and mind need to be guarded after you've prayed? Because your heart and your mind are the very things. Your mind is going to run away and say, I've prayed, but your mind is going to say, yeah, you prayed, but what if this, what if that, what if this? And you just, you know, you could go nuts. So there's a quieting. A peace that comes from reminding yourself. Remember, all this came after Thanksgiving in Philippians 4. That Thanksgiving, that worship, that praise is reminding your spirit, reminding your soul, salvation belongs to God. And the psalmist sings it to himself. Remember, these psalms, we read them dryly, like, like they're a textbook. But these psalms are sung as he sings these things to himself, as, as the people sing these things to themselves, they're reminded there's something that takes place. I mentioned this last week, but it was a, an amazing thought that someone brought out to me when they said, you know, when Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, when he said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? We read it as a statement. But to a, a, a good Jewish man, he would have grown up singing that as a song. And as he sang that song, you can't sing the beginning of a song without hearing the rest of it. And when he's saying, my God, my God, if, if whether he sang it or he spoke it on the cross, the result is the same. When you say the opening line of a song, you're going to hear the rest of it in your mind. And if you've read that psalm, it doesn't end with God forsaking anyone. It ends in a reminder that the Lord will not forsake his people. So as Jesus saying this to himself or said it, he's reminded I will not be abandoned to Sheol. He will not allow my bones to decay. My God is with me. I want you to be reminded that salvation belongs to the Lord. I want you to say it. I don't want you ever be tempted because grabbing it grabbing salvation, saying, I can save myself, or anybody else or any other thing trying to save you. So listen, let's just put it in practical. If you're in great debt, and you just see, well, I could buy a lottery ticket and I could get out of it, or well, maybe I'll get this government grant, or maybe this or maybe that, God could use a government grant. He could use somebody coming out of nowhere. But when you're thinking of those things as your salvation, You've transferred your hope from God to these temporary, flimsy things. I'm very skeptical that God would use the lottery, all right? I'm just very skeptical of that. But let's just say, whatever you're putting your hope in. Maybe this is my way out. What you need to do is say, no, no, no. Because what you've done, whether whether I snatch it for myself and say I can save myself or whether you put it on something else, this will save me. What you've done either way is create an idol. What you need to do bring it back to God. And probably one of the best ways to do it is to begin to say it in worship. Remind yourself who he is. Remind yourself and, and say salvation belongs to you, God. Just like this psalmist does. He sings to himself and he says, oh soul, salvation, be quiet, be silent and wait for the Lord. O soul, salvate. my hope is from him. He is my only rock. He is my only hope. He is my only refuge. Spoiler, God came through. Now, I can't tell you exactly how God will come through every way. He's God. Salvation belongs to him. Not only the act of salvation, but the method of salvation belongs to him. One of the other ways that we mess up is when we tell him how he's going to save us from this. This is how you have to help me, God. I have a plan. You have the power, but I got the plan. It doesn't work that way. Why don't you just trust him in this? And I I don't say trust is just passive. I say active trust. Active trust. You know, so many times we passively say we trust God, which just is sort of a fatalistic case of rah I'm talking about actively standing in His Word and on His promises, and but not trying to fill in the blanks that aren't there. Salvation belongs to you. someday we'll sing it. Right now, let's live it out and sing it as we live here in this life, because this is this is something that that He's already said He ever lives. I love that verse in Hebrews. He ever lives to intercede for us. He ever lives to save. Isn't that wonderful? He ever lives to save. Let's stand up and let's pray.